Hey, this is uh, our first intro live from uh, the <laughs> streets of New York. We're sitting in a park uh, just south of Houston Street. You might be able to hear the basketballs. <laughs> in the background, yeah. We had to find a quick spot to record this introduction for the uh, next episode with Eleanor Carucci that you're about to hear. Yeah, so we had a, a great conversation with Eleanor. And yeah, what you'll get uh, listening to Eleanor is how kind of emotionally sh- connected she is and how she sort of works works out life and relationships through her photography. Absolutely. I mean, it couldn't get more personal than a lot of things that she talks about and, and puts into the work is stuff that a lot of people would maybe only share with their closest friends and family. And she talks about almost as catharsis, but, but maybe not exactly as this process of by going through and making the work and putting it out in the world is a great way for her to, to process it and see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. You, you just, you can't uh, look at her work and talk about her work without you know, the word intimacy coming up again and again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, other than that, I'm just excited to say that uh, today is the 8th of July, and on the 15th of July, next Friday, I'll be flying with uh, Thomas and Anna Roma to Verona, Italy, to oversee the printing of the first five SPQR books, and uh, also Tom Roma's new book, uh, Plato's Dogs. Yeah, this is, this is pretty exciting. It's the launch of this publishing house. Absolutely. Hopefully, uh, the only the beginning of many great things to come. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yes, let's hope it all goes very well. Exactly. But no, that'll be fantastic. You'll, uh, you'll, I'm sure you're going to have a... Not, I mean, you're going to be on press, but you'll also be spending time in Italy. Yeah, with Roma. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, after hearing all these stories about the fantastic restaurants, so be able to have it firsthand some fabulous food hopefully right well uh so there might be a little break um but we we actually have some episodes in the can that will be rolling out every other week and at some point uh, you'll be off in Italy and i will be taking a vacation somewhere and so there might be a little break but i think we have enough to keep us going for a while yeah no we've got some great episodes coming up uh Leo Rubenfine coming up very soon. Right. So it'll be Eleanor Carucci coming out. Uh, this is what you're listening to, obviously. Uh, and then Leo Rubenfine and Wendell White. And then what we just did today. We just got through recording Sasha Wolf, uh, who, as you're listening to this, you might still have a chance to run out and see the Sasha Rudensky exhibition, which is up at Sasha Wolf Gallery, 70 Orchard Street. And it's the very last uh, exhibition that she's putting on in the gallery space before she closes it down. So get over there and, and see that. And that that was a really great conversation too. But we'll we'll introduce that when we introduce the yeah. when we put the show. Up. All right, everyone, have a great day. Enjoy the show. Michael might do like this or something. Yeah, if, some if you see me do this, it just means get closer to the mic. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, give me some more details. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, this is good. It Keep it going. Yeah. <laughs> the juicy details. Though. That's right. Not <laughs> enough here. Not enough here. Yeah, Stretch okay. It out. <laughs> All right. So uh, here we are. Uh, we're at the home of photographer Eleanor Carucci. We are. Yeah. Welcome. And I'm here with my co host, Kai. Hi, Kai. Hey, welcome. Hi. So, uh, Eleanor, you um, you just spoke at the Columbia uh, Summer Intensive Program, yes. right? Yes. What is that like? Uh, it's one of the things I really love because I love communicating um, 
with the audience um, as an ex-dancer, performer. Um, I love photographing people. I love talking about my work. Um, it's one of the things that I sometimes find a little frustrating in photo shows. You put the show up and you sometimes don't interact with the audience. So I love giving talks and answering questions and oh, listening yeah. to people. That works out really well for us because we're going <laughs> to record you and <laughs> get you to tell us all about, about your life and life in photography and where you're up to today. So that is a perfect tie-in. And yeah, we've had you back. Uh, this is our fourth summer, the Summer Intensive. You've right. been as a guest for those four years and um, and also you've been a guest multiple times at Tom's class. And of right. course, you teach uh, at SVA. And are you teaching anywhere else right now? or I teach at ICP. I give workshops for the last 16 years now oh yeah oh wow yeah, yeah. that's a long time <laughs> <laughs> and, and what are the uh, what's sort of the primary subject of those workshops because i know they they sort of break things down into someone's style of photography or someone's subject matter things like that it's the photo documentary program that i'm giving workshops in so i think it over the years developed more into giving the students permission to do photojournalism in a different way, a more intimate way, a more personal way. So it's called um, photographing family and friends or, or finding intimacy in <laughs> photography. I don't remember, but it means the same. Right. It's like, how do you get close to someone else? Oh. So not being objective, but getting your own subjectivity into it. and Or trying to stay objective, but get close. <laughs> Usually you can't, because once you're closer yeah, to once someone commit, and right. someone's life, then you feel more and you have more opinions and emotions. And Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Uh, well, before we get any further, I just have to say, I, I just walked to use the bathroom here to wash my hands. <laughs> and as I'm walking through the apartment, I'm like, you're getting like little flashbacks from photographs you've seen, right? Like, especially, I assume that's the bathtub I've seen in some of your photographs, especially photographs or not. Did you just move here? It just looks mm. like your other bathtub, maybe. It's not, it's ah, okay. not. But um, I guess the next, the images that I've been working on in the last three years, yeah, you'll be seeing them. Maybe you've seen because there is similar colors. Yeah, some of the uh, stuff like here. the reds and the blues, um, and some of the furniture. Well, what are, so, one of the things I th think we're going to be talking about is this idea of, you know, a photographer having access and what do they have access to, and then how are they bringing that about? And there's certainly this level of intimacy in your work because you're not only photographing yourself but your immediate family. You know, your parents, and now and your husband, and now your kids. And um, it's you can't miss it when you walk into the living room kitchen here. There's, you know, these pro photo lights are set right. up and ready to go. And, you know, so it is a little bit like you're coming into someone's home and studio at the right. same time. Right. right. And um, and so that's I think that's an important part of your work and, and how you got to. I'm, I'm curious to when you gave your talk this year, you had some new photographs where you had photographed your first kind of a couple of rolls of film where you're photographing your mother. Right. Right. So uh, maybe you could just talk about how that I, the idea came to you that, you know, this was the thing that you should be looking at is looking at your personal life and going straight from, you know, these intimate moments of family versus going out on the street and looking for something, right? I think, you know, thinking back to being 15 and just picking up a camera, I wasn't thinking in the terms that I think and I'm aware of today. Mm. So it's just... Really, I know it sounds a little corny, but pure love to something. I mm. just wanted to stay home and photograph more of my family, more of myself and my mom. 
and I wasn't thinking much, which was great. It was mm-hmm. something that later on when I went to art school, I tried to find the way of having more knowledge and keep on learning, but not thinking mm-hmm. in a way and, um, and, and just being creative in a more loose and free way. Um, so it was just an instinct to photograph more of my mom and more of myself and my father and my brother mm-hmm. and stay home or follow the people outdoors, but photographing the people I know outside. So actually later on when I started photographing outside, I had to push myself to do it because mm-hmm. my tendency is to um, somehow stay sheltered mm-hmm. and in the shelter of, under the protection of home and love and family, I could dare to go deeper. Hmm. And yet, I mean, you weren't afraid to share that with the world then, you know what I mean? Like if you were, you were making these photographs at home of the, you know, these uh, very personal situations, but then you didn't just keep them at home. You brought them out. You, you, I assume when you were in school, you probably brought them to show critiques or professors or right. I mean, Israeli faculty in Betelel were scary. No matter uh-huh. what you photograph, they were very tough on us and mm. very critical and even cruel sometimes, even though Betelel was a great school and I owe them a lot and their brutal honesty had mm. the good and the bad in it. But I never, I was never afraid to share those private moments. If, if anything, and when people tell me you're brave, if anything... I think this is my way of dealing with fears. It's mm. it's liberating, it's comforting, and it usually most time it will bring me back feedbacks from from viewers or friends or other people that look at the work about their flaws and their pains. Um, and so it's almost the opposite of daring. It's like mm. because I am like all of us. I, I find life to be difficult sometimes. This mm. is my way of dealing with it. Mm. I, I photograph the deepest fears or happiness or joys or flaws or whatever. And I share them with the world. And then they're no longer a secret. There is something very healing and liberating about it. Including the way you talk about the works. Because like, I've heard you give uh, talks. And you, you, you can see things in the photograph that if you just went to the show and someone never met you or someone never uh, heard you speak about your work, you'd already have this feeling that uh, the artist was letting you in on, you know, these very private moments or, you know, intimate moments. They have, there's a real authenticity to the way you read uh, the photographs. And, but then when you give a talk and a lecture, you often give even more like detailed background about what was happening, that what was inspiring the work, how the work was being affected by events in your life. So is it important to you to, to, to share those moments around the, the work as, all, as well as a way of like processing that information? And It's just that there is no other way that I can be. It, it's, mm. it's important for me to be me. I don't think that it's important for everybody to share everything. Some people are more private and mm-hmm. they work in a different way. They create different kind of work. And, and for me, I find that it, it's important to keep my real voice, who I am, what I believe in, and what's right for me. Mm. Um, so I, I try to keep it honest. I even sometimes have um, arguments with my mom more about <laughs> <laughs> um, 
the career side of and or the economical side of my career mm. and she's like stop telling people that you didn't sell anything in the last three months or <laughs> yeah. something like that say, yeah, yeah. Um, and she might be right you mm. know sometimes it is you have to promote yourself and to put mm. a certain image but I can't be anything else mm. and the reason why I'm in this difficult challenging career um, this is this is almost like it will be defeating the purpose if mm. if I can have my true voice being heard then what's the point right I mean why else would you get into this right. if you couldn't just be yourself and do what you really want to do right, right. Yeah. and say what I, I believe in mm. and, and promote what I believe in which is let the guards down let our facade down and connect to each other mm. as people and when so when you are talking to students or critiquing somebody's work do you try to draw out from them something uh, perhaps that uh, you know is more connected to their work, more personally connected to their work. Try to get at the root of things with them. Yeah, but not necessarily. Not everyone wants to open up, but I'm trying to get more of what they really want to say with the work. With the work, why do why do they take pictures, and what is really their voice? What and sometimes it's hidden. <laughs> you know, it's not. It takes time to find it. So. I am definitely digging in, um, and I sometimes I, I read my evaluations, and sometimes <laughs> students write. Bad idea, no. Uh, it can be bad, <laughs> but sometimes they write, she's asking a lot and a lot and a lot of questions because I'm really digging in, what are you really doing with your work? Oh, Is this really, you yeah. know, so... Mm. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. I could see that. I could see people writing that in valuations. <laughs> like, yeah, I broke down. I had a breakdown. Eleanor kept know. asking me questions. <laughs> I want to go back to family I mean, because it's such a big part of your work. And I think family is so important to how many people are formed, obviously. But in your particular case, I can't imagine if you had a different family that you'd probably be making the work you were making, right? So on one hand, I'm thinking of those early photographs you have. Uh, with your mother and your brother and um, the sort of like relaxed freedom it seemed to be in the house, you know, as far as like, you know, you're sitting in, uh, with your brother, he's cutting your hair and, you know, does he, I can't remember, does he have clothes on? I know you, you're naked we, in we that. Or you have, just have our uh, un underwear. underwear. That's yeah, right. Yeah. You know, I'm just thinking about, is it, was it that time in uh, Israel? Are there, were there a lot of people? Is that, was it like, the kind of kibbutz mentality of people who are like free with their bodies and you're hanging out. And that, that's certainly my background when I was growing up by my mother. We were like, every time her and her friends go to swimming, we go like to the creek or the river or whatever. Everyone would just take off their clothes, not just the kids, you know, right. everyone jumps in and you never, you didn't even think about it. It wasn't even a question or about right. it. And it was sort of normal. And then you come to some other part of the world or USA and, and where it's yeah. more puritanical yeah. or like people, you know, never seen their parents naked right. or, you know, or certainly wouldn't do it after a certain cutoff of a certain age. And you had this, this environment growing up that helped foster who you are and, and then the work you continued to make all the way through. Right. Definitely. I mean, yeah. def it was, it was especially my family that was open and liberal and, and warm. Mm. Um, and also the culture in Israel that has been changing by mm. the way, it's not as free mm. and loose and laid back as it used to be. But the challenge I feel was here creating a home with my children. And my husband is the same. Mm -hmm. He's 
he would always walk around naked and I right. could take pictures. He doesn't care. It, it, it's a little bit challenging to create this kind of environment here in America mm. without making my kids, you know, when you're an immigrant and you raise American children or children that are born and raised in, in yeah. the same country that you are, you can't force them to be, to have the identity that you have mm. from your own country. So, w but we are, I think I succeeded. <laughs> We're pretty laid back here and, mm. you know, we can walk around naked and it's fine, but it's definitely also a cultural it's, it's funny you brought that up because uh, I was at Betzalel in 1989 for uh, six months. Um, oh, ex just exchange before program. I was there. I started in 91. Yeah, it was, it was an exchange program with the School of Visual Arts. Right. Yeah, right. and so, so I went with my uh, class to the Negev oh Desert. Oh, my God. And, I, and how soon was as, it? As soon as the sun went down, they're like, all right, we're all getting naked and going walking around photographing each other. And I was like, well... <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in an Irish Catholic family. <laughs> we did not do that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, different culture. Right. But it was fantastic. It was a fantastic experience. Did and you have eagle and simcha? Yes, and I absolutely did. Um, and then uh, uh, I, I became buddies with uh, Ephraim, who ran the facilities. Yes. 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 <laughs> and very talked nice. about his Studebakers and yes, yes. yes. <laughs> he was very nice. Such a nice man. This right. is funny. Right. Yes. So yeah. Uh, but yeah, that that was a different culture, and it must be yeah. That, I imagine uh, wanting to instill you know things you grew up with with your children then here in the United States, where they're with their friends in in a very different right. culture and society. Right. right. So you have to find that balance, and also I I would think maybe travel helps that and things like that as well right yeah. i mean we spend summers in israel so they speak hebrew fluently and they get an, a good exposure to to israel and to another culture yeah it's got to help for sure now I, we're jumping around all over the place because i think that makes it more interesting but uh <laughs> just to sort of finish off this loop about intimate you know photographing and um people being naked or not I, you, in a recent talk, you were talking about how this last project you were working on, which was in 2013, was published in the book Mother. You talked about how your daughter saw the like the final version of the book and was surprised that some of the photographs she remembered being made of where she was, she or her brother didn't have clothes on, weren't in the book. And you having that conversation with her about, you know, this negotiation of what's public and what's not and when, when her when might that be appropriate or not? Do you want to talk about that that whole process? Yeah, I mean, it was mainly just um, mom being worried. Mm. I didn't want, when I started photographing the kids, a lot of thought came to my mind because it was the first time I was photographing minors mm -hmm. about the exposure and what will it, like how it will be seen by them and will it expose them to be teased when they're, so it was, just taking an extra step to protect them. It mm. wasn't like an artistic. I'm like, I'm just not going to include the nude images of them for now in the book. And I can always show them later if they let me and they're at a certain age. And I think it was a good decision. Mm. Um, some of it might be just to make my guilt go away or mm. my fears. Um, but she was surprised because um, talking about the work that I've been doing, we had conversations about just being who we are um, and not and, and, and not putting up a front and all that. So she was like, so where are who we are pictures? And yeah. I explained it to her. 
Um, and I think, I think she understood. I think she understood it. Yeah, I mean, well, famously, if, I, mean, I think people often bring up Sally Mann just in talking about you simply for the reason of photographing family and, uh, and the level of intimacy. But then, you know, the history of photography is full of this. You know, there's Edward Weston, you know, very famous, you know, full frontal photograph of his son, uh, Harry Callahan photographing his wife and daughter. Right. I mean, there's like... Emmett Gowan. Emmett Gowan, yeah. yeah it's definitely. Like, yeah, it's like, it's... But I, I do think it's different times, and I did mention Absolutely. it in the talk with Instagram and Facebook. And so, yes, my kids' pictures are being exhibited and, and published in magazines, but they're friends' pictures, sometimes half-naked too, or as naked babies are on the web. Yeah. So I think it's different, and the good and the bad of it. I mean, you can put something very special out there in the world, but the world is so saturated with images that it will go unnoticed. Yeah. On the other hand, it's not that unusual for my kids to have other people look at their pictures in today's world. Yeah, between Google and, of course, the very real thing of cyberbullying and everything. Right. You know, I mean, it's it's something you wouldn't have had to worry about as much before. Right. Even though stuff. we are in New York, which makes it, I think, a little easier in terms of people with unusual creative professions, you know, yeah. immigrants from all over the world. So nothing is not as unusual here in Manhattan yeah it would, right. might be different in some other parts of the country oh, the world. absolutely yeah, yeah. No, there's no doubt about that well, you said you picked up the camera at 15 yes where did you grow up in Israel in Jerusalem oh in Jerusalem okay. yes yeah. yes do you remember that that moment how that all came about what led up to that yes um it was just um one afternoon I had nothing to do um and I know that I, I know I told my kids it's important to be bored sometimes. <laughs> and I tell other parents it's important not to fill your kids' schedules with, you know, every hour of the day. And I just picked up my father's camera. It was loaded with a black and white mm. film and looked for something to photograph. I walked into my mother's bedroom and she just woke up from an afternoon nap. And I took, I started snapping some very few pictures of her. And, and in the next few days or weeks, I continued to photograph her. And I was just amazed by how much more I could see of her in the time of photographing her, but also looking together at the pictures and then photographing again. It was a way to deal with my mom that was, um, she was she's a great mom. She was not an easy personality to deal with. She was very beautiful, very glamorous. And suddenly I could see her in a different light. I could see more of her and her, the different aspects of who she is. And everything else that I photograph, I'm like, I can see much more of the world if I'm photographing it. And so I want to be a photographer. <laughs> I think I was 17 when I made the decision, the commitment. This is, and it was after a visit to New York. Mm. I visited New York. I remember visiting ICP when it was um, in the Upper East Side. Right. Oh, right, right. And right. looking at, at the bookstores and all the postcards and books. And I came back to Israel and declared, you know, <laughs> thinking I'm very mature when you're 17 <laughs> and you think, this is what I want to be. I want to be a photographer. And so what, uh, what, was, what were your parents' reaction to that? Oh, my mom, my dad is like, everything I do is great. And he'll just support <laughs> everything I do. And my mom was also, she was um, from the very beginning, very supportive. 
of me and my brother. She's a typical Jewish mom, and everything we do is like great. And um, her kids are geniuses, or something like that. And she's she's a very supportive mom. So she they took me seriously. And what were their uh, sort of career paths? My mom just started. The, so my parents divorced about eight years ago, mm. and my oh. mom started working only eight years ago. Oh, okay. So she's a tour operator. So she works with tourism. And my father has a taxi. He's driving a taxi. He was back then working for my grandfather, went through a, a economical financial crisis, and he is a taxi driver mm. now. Oh. Fancy taxi. Yeah. <laughs> High-end tourism. But yeah, he works hard in his early 70s. Has Uber come to Israel? <laughs> it's just happening now, oh. actually. It's about to be approved and everybody's kind yeah. of freaking out. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So then, then once you came back, you're 17. Then, uh, after then school, you went and served in the military. Right. All right. That's all right. Israelis do. And then, right. then it was after that you went to Betzalel? Right. I did two years in the Israeli army. Um, matured a lot. Hmm. Not necessarily enjoyed it, but it really made me grow. Um, and started Betzalel. And at the last day of Betzalel, when I took down my thesis show... The next day, I came to New York. Wow. Uh, yes, yes. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, what was the plan? Um, <laughs> it sounds so ridiculous now. Um, I wanted to publish my book. Um, so I came here by myself. Iran, we were together, but he couldn't come with me. He was working. Um, and I remember it was before the internet. I remember like having to... I remember looking at yellow pages and, and, and you know. <laughs> yellow pages. This was 1995? 1995. Yeah. Um, and I went into Aperture, into the bookstore on 23rd Street. Oh, yeah. And I got myself a meeting with Michael Sand, <laughs> who was, I didn't get a book published, but it was different times. It was much, much harder to find information. Mm. But it wasn't, I think, as flooded with artists and emails. And yeah. It was very hard, though. It was very, very hard. And I, my English wasn't as good. I didn't know many things that you do, like how I didn't know you have to have a cover letter of like, here are my slides, you know. <laughs> um, so some of it was really painful. But uh, hey, Betzalel, where's that portfolio I, class? I <laughs> Definitely. I think they started making more of them in the later years, especially as the world becomes so global and right. people are going to other places. So, yeah. And then you started dancing then, or were you already I dancing? I already, I was dancing, um, and I was in um, Arabesque. I was a part of a dance company in Israel, in Jerusalem. Oh, okay. But when I came here, I started to find, uh, to look for a way to make a living. Yeah. Um, and I started, I took a lot of classes here, and I found this restaurant where I danced for three years, and then I danced with my agent, which was the time that I took the photos for Diary of a Dancer. And yeah. Middle Eastern style dancing. Yeah. Yeah, belly dancing, mm-hmm. Middle Eastern dancing. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, so I was recently corrected because I had read 10 years, but you said, no, you were 15 years as a dancer, right? Yes, but only three years were, uh, is the time that, it, that I photographed right. Diary of a Dancer. For Diary of a Dancer, yeah. But and I did dance 10 years here, I think, in America. So ah, that's okay. maybe... So that's how it adds up. A few 15. years in Israel and then gotcha. about a decade here. But, I mean, I think that's a great story of, like, you arrive, you know, you're 
people aren't just like handing you money left and right. You know, you've got to figure out how you're going to yeah. support yourself. You're, <laughs> right. You've immigrated to a new country. I mean, we're so used to the story, especially in New York. You meet so many people who move here from other places. But I mean, I there were many years when I was in my 20s that I really wanted to move to Berlin. But yeah. I always thought, okay, I'm going to arrive. And then what? I mean, like how am I, I, my German was negligible. I could barely speak any German. And then right. you're going to like, what, knock on doors, try to get a restaurant job. I mean, it's, it's very hard. My to... belly dancing skills weren't <laughs> up to par. So <laughs> talking about Berlin, actually, we visited Berlin in 99, me and Iran. Mm. And he was thinking about maybe trying to move there and, I told him there is no way <laughs> I can do this all over again. I mean, oh, I'm yeah. just, I haven't even started to feel at home in New York. And I said, we're either living in Israel or in New York. I right. can't Another, do it again. Yeah, it, after it was, four years, yeah, it was very again. difficult. Yeah. yeah. Yikes. So let's talk about Diary of a Dancer. So you, you start making this work and then I assume Iran uh, followed you soon after. When did he arrive? Um, at first, I tried to have strangers help me with taking pictures. I took a lot of pictures of before and after. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, on the road, on the subway, before I leave home, after I come back home. Um, and then um, it, it didn't work out and Iran came with me. At first, we tried to make because I was worried about authorship of the work, mm -hmm. I tried to set up the camera and give him a signal. So he's just the camera operator. Some of those worked, but then a lot of the times when the performance has developed to different directions, it's belly dancing. It's yeah. very loose. It's not that scripted. So right. <laughs> um, I had him just take the camera and take his own pictures. And we included his pictures that he took in the book as well. Right. I, but I, sorry, I meant to be, if you came in 95, when did Iran come to New York? Oh, no, no, he came, so I came in 95, then I went back to Israel after four months um, and came back again with him for a okay. few months. Then we both came to Israel to pack everything and moved here. So it was just a few months okay, here great. by myself, but it was still <laughs> hard. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I was just, I just trying to establish the timeline there. So when, right. he, when he showed up yeah. and uh, it's worth mentioning that Iran had a photographic background as well, right? Right. His grandparents, Hannah and Ephraim Dgani, are professional photographers, pioneer photographers in Jerusalem. They started Photo Prisma. Oh. You yeah, might. Yeah, and yeah. it was back in the days, it was also a studio, like a classic right. and a store. Is um, that in Jerusalem? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he was very knowledgeable in photography. And I think I told the class for my third date with him, he brought me his grandmother's old darkroom. Yeah. So it was just... Um, I'm making notes. It's, that's like a <laughs> classic move. You know? I know, you know? For, for someone like me. Um, yeah. And he still is very involved in my photography. Mm -hmm. And he's always been... For me, it's the thing that connects us the most. Um, right. One, he was comfortable being naked. He was comfortable being naked, being photographed. Yep. He knows a lot about photography. He loves photography. Right. And, and he, he studied photography with me. He mm. just decided not to go in the path of right. trying to become a professional photographer. But right. he still takes and yeah. makes his own work. And that's work. why it wasn't so unusual that he would be able to assist you when you were working on Right. Diary he was my first assistant. Mm. And he still assists me sometimes if the kids are in Israel. or Yeah. yeah. Okay, so then three years of photographing and uh, while dancing and then how did that come about to be edited and sequenced into the book it was actually as opposed to closer where i chased uh, um, publishers mm -hmm. which was not too bad because it gave me time to continue in developing this body of work 
um, Diary of a Dancer, which is funny. Closer was so, so hard to find a publisher. It took mm -hmm. me years. And then the book was very successful. Mm -hmm. Diary of a Dancer, uh, Steidel Mack, Michael Mack heard about the project. He mm -hmm. wanted to see it. And I got, right I got Steidel Mack <laughs> to do the book. Right. And it was a failure. I mean, the book didn't do very well. This work didn't do very well, which is also something I talked about. Right. My mom will be very upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, I talked about <laughs> to the students. But I think it's important to know that you have to, that you are going to, if you're going to do things and if you're going to try things and make projects and assignments and teaching, you're, you're also going to fail. And mm. it's important to But do you consider that work it. a failure? I mean... I don't, but I I see, I don't think it's as good as Closer and Mother, mm. looking at, in retrospect. You know, when you're doing the work, it's a little, I don't think it's as good, and it's definitely not as universal. Mm. It's more a documentary story about a certain part of my life, about being a belly dancer in New York City, while Mother and Closer, are, as personal as they are, they're talking about universal themes of family and relationship and love and hate and mm. struggle and so people can relate to them from people from all over the world yeah i guess yeah there's a certain percentage of people that go and see belly dancing and then there's a certain that don't and maybe those self-select into who might be interested in looking at those photographs but right but there's a real i don't know there's also like a great new york sec part of that book too like i think of the the photograph, and you were using this panoramic camera for some of those right, photographs. Right, I took Iran's camera, his panoramic um, And there's that horizon. great one of you on the subway, like putting your makeup on, and like you see people on the subway car behind you completely ignoring completely you. Completely ignoring yeah. me, and I had I had the camera on a tripod, and yeah. I did my makeup, and I was taking self-portraits. Yeah, that's because it's New York. Yeah. <laughs> right, maybe yeah. people yeah. would glince, and that yeah. was it. But, I mean, that's part of it, too. It's like, right. it's not just... You know, I mean, I could imagine a story of uh, following a belly dancer around and seeing things, but you weave these other things into it and the and showing like the preparation and the right. the people reacting to it, you waiting to be picked up, all of that right. stuff. There's a lot of loneliness because you're not a part of a company. Usually as a belly dancer, you're on your own. I right. had my agents, but a lot of the belly dancers are on their own. Mm. I was with the two of them, um, but it's... Um, you wait sometimes in the restroom because you're the surprise of the party and right. there's a lot of time alone. And then you're immersed with the people, right? which is something that became very important also for my editorial jobs these days. Mm. The way I was thrown into people's lives, their weddings, anniversaries, birthday parties, and connected to them and really felt like at that moment, I loved them, a lot of warmth and mm. a lot of... Um, need to get them to dance and be with me and open them up and make them happy. And, and you're also and showing up in their lives as like this special presence too, right? Right, right. The you're, connotation is, is, is positive. Yeah, yeah, like if, you know, they open the door to let you in and you're here to photograph them for some magazine story or something versus you all of a sudden show up at the <laughs> wedding and you're the entertainment and dancing and making everyone excited. It's a similar sort of thing of like, here you are to do something special with them into their lives, right? But I, I try to bring this element into photography. And mm. in many of the stories, as I come in, it depends on the stories, but there is an event, there is something that is the reason why I'm there, why the mm. magazine is, is making a story on those people. Sometimes it's more tragic, sometimes it's a happy event. Um, and it, it is a special day for people to kind of 
put their lives on a stage for me just for a day or two or three. Mm. Let me photograph it. And I usually also tell the people that I will send them pictures after. So um, there is something that I hope to give back. So I, I find the similarity between the two special events. Yeah, the, it's, I think there's a very reciprocal relationship between the two because belly dancing is a very intimate expression. It's, it's a, it, you're somewhat vulnerable as well. I mean, it's supposed to be a, a suggestive form of dance as well. It's a little bit erotic, it's right? And so there is a, a real vulnerability when you're performing. And I can see that in your photography as well. I mean, you make yourself very vulnerable in your photography. So I, I think it's just life, you know. Yeah. It's <laughs> just walking out the street and um, everything we do, we're, we're vulnerable all the time. And, and, and acknowledging that, putting that in my work, I think it's what makes the work, as I said, universal before, because people just, we're vulnerable all the time. And you're right, you're, when you open up, maybe you're more vulnerable or maybe you're less in a way mm -hmm. you know it yeah. depends on how you yeah i don't mean i, I didn't mean vulnerable as um as weak or um, no no right, i totally right, know yeah. what you mean but yeah, yeah. again it's like the reverse psychology mm -hmm. of what i told kai before when people tell me i'm brave in a way opening up to people yeah. and say this is who i am a hundred percent or 99 percent right <laughs> makes me in a way less vulnerable yeah. it's all open it's a real and pathway to a kind of success i i hope i hope yeah. but it's and as kai and you're saying and you're right this is also who i am mm. as 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 a teacher or as an editorial photographer um and it it doesn't always succeed mm -hmm. people don't always open up back mm, but right. when they do something very special happens in life in general if you think about yeah. romantic love or if you think about business partnership and when people open up to each other, something very, it's really why life is worth living because we open up to each other and there is so, so much beauty and so much strength in it. Yeah. Uh, one thing that we often tell students, I'm sure I, you know, Tom does, I do, I think Michael does, is that when people ask you like, oh, how did you make this photograph? Or how did you, you know, how do you go up and speak to someone? They, they, people always want the magic answer of like, right, like a how formula. is it Yeah, the yeah, formula, how right. is it possible? And, you know, our response is always who you are is going to determine what you right. have the, right. the possibility to do. Because if you're someone who's, you know, who, whatever your personality traits are, whatever, however you present yourself to strangers or people you're familiar with, that's going to be reflected in the kind of work that's available to you. If you're, if you're outgoing and you can like talk to strangers and get them to pose for you on the street, you're going to make that right. kind of work. If you're, you know, uh, if you're more guarded and hidden away, then you're probably going to wind up making, you know, landscapes of sad right. things over here <laughs> yes. or whatever, right? So it's absolutely can be seen in your work that and we've just been hinting around the commercial work you do, but that the kind of work that you do is related very much to who you are. And uh, you were talking earlier about the questions you ask your students trying to get them to open up right. to you and, and, and go out and... And therefore, it, it's reflected in this the kind of commercial work you get offered, which is these jobs where you get you go into. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's honking in the background. But I'm, I'm yeah, going to so ignore we're, it. We're this in is New York. York. We're in Chelsea, yeah, it's Manhattan. Yes. Yeah, go on. Uh, you get you get sent to these into these sometimes difficult situations, right? right to right. Uh, where you only have a day or two or three days to. Uh, meet these people and speak to them. Do you want to talk about your process of how you, how you negotiate that and how you wind up making this work? 
Um, so first, to, to take from my credit, I do have access because of the magazines. Of course. Yeah. Um, which, which makes it easier because I'm not trying to force anything on someone. Um, and, and then I just come, you know, I read about the story, I read about the people, and I just come as I am in the same way. Of course, it's not going to go as deep or I don't love the people as much as I love my children. But I, I really come with an open heart and an open mind and a lot of respect and sensitivity um, to see how and what I can photograph, what is okay and what is not and what is maybe and maybe mm. we can try it. If it's, if it's a sensitive situation, maybe I can show the images that I just took. Maybe we can delete them if people feel uncomfortable. So it's just being who I am, the way I photograph my mom and my kids, there is this balance between um, being respectful and sensitive to others, but pushing a little bit mm -hmm. and, and, and begging a little bit and catching a moment that maybe you didn't plan on. Um, you have to find this balance and see how much they want to. Sometimes people are very private, and I totally respect that. And sometimes they really want to tell the story or they want to uh, have the images taken because... Um, I photographed in the fall uh, a young woman who was taking care of her sick mother, mm. and her mother died a few months ago, and they wanted to, it was very, it was really, really sad, but beautiful. They wanted to share moments, they wanted me to photograph those moments because um, they knew that she was dying. Yeah, so that was for editorial work? That, that was, was for editorial work. So I just heard from this young woman and she said i'm so happy you're there and you took the pictures they have those photographs yeah. yeah i remember you you in your talk recently you were showing the photographs from the family that was kind of torn up by the the one daughter i think is severely autistic yeah. and slightly violent right, right? and then right. the mother who tried to uh, basically kill her daughter right kill and her daughter and commit suicide and commit suicide and failed on both right. counts yeah the and, sheriff oh. found them uh, in the car yeah, and and save their lives, but she's now in jail. And so you wound up photographing the family and the aftermath of that. How 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 much time had gone by before you went out to photograph them? So I went to photograph the family um, because she was arrested already before her verdict. The the girl Izzy, the father, and the two siblings, and then um, another mag that was for People magazine. The New York magazine saw those pictures and sent me to jail. Mm. to photograph the mother so um, it was very fresh it was then it, it wasn't like years had gone by you were there oh, right yeah. in the middle of yeah, it. it yeah it was before she got the, it was after the first or second day of her hearing mm. a few days after i photographed her she got the verdict wow yeah so that was that was That's intense yeah that was intense yeah that yeah. was intense and i can't imagine you I, again thinking of like who someone might show up at their door to to photograph them in this moment. I mean, because you photographed the daughter in her father's lap and, you know, right. like you're clearly getting access to the family when they're going through this really difficult moment. And I would think that you couldn't send just anybody to go, to go in there and photograph someone, you know, like you can't send just some jerk in there to like, who just wants <laughs> right. to make photographs and get out of there, right? Right, right. No, you, you have to send someone who has been experienced but I have to tell you, it's funny because when I do get into a certain mode, when I go to, especially when there is a difficult situation, mm. 
And a few months ago, I met a friend at the, at the gym and she introduced me to another mom from the school and this mom lost a child. And they told me she used to have twins. She lost one child. Mm. And me, that I am usually and you good, have twins quote unquote, also. in those situations, because I was not like in a mode, I just... I really, like, I couldn't talk. It was really embarrassing. I couldn't talk to the mom. I went later and apologized. I was like, and I, I was like choking with tears. I just couldn't hear it. Yeah. Um, and I, I felt weird because um, I think there is a certain kind of preparation mm. because I can't have my sorrow or anything about me to be, this is not about me. I'm not the focus and um, I have to come with compassion but to stay calm and because sometimes I'm, you know, I'm very moved or even nervous to be there. Well, I think I think getting back to what Kai just said, I, I think that a lot of that comes through your work. And I'm sure when when you were starting out getting editorial work, these, you know, these editors were familiar with the kind of work you do and the compassion and the empathy and the sympathy that's in that work. Actually, it took time. Yeah. It took time until I got those stories um at first i did portraits um portraits of artists and musicians some kind of beauty at edgy beauty hmm. um so i did different things photographing females and um until i start getting those and and i could see that i'm not like the beauty or the attempts to do some somewhat fashion I didn't do it very well. <laughs> I'm not very talented there. They're much better photographers than me. So it was of like an evolution mm -hmm. of over, and it really took, I've been doing editorial work for almost 20 years. Wow. It took time for me to find my niche for the photo editors and to see and to know what I'm not good at and mm. where I, I do fail. I talked about failure before. You fail, it's very painful. Um, we want to be able to do everything great, but you <laughs> learn from your failures. Sure. Sometimes you have to insist when you fail, and sometimes you have to let go and say, this is just not my direction. So were you already doing editorial work when you went to SVA for graduate studies? I didn't go no, to no, SVA. No, no, she oh. teaches in the Oh, you teach SVA. Te yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, I got that completely no, messed up. No, 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 I never went to school in America. I did Betzalel in Israel, and I did my BFA, okay. um, and I teach... I have an oh, wait MFA. Wait a minute, you're not a master? I don't have an <laughs> MFA, but teaching for so many years, I have a triple MFA by now, but okay. yeah. So when did you start teaching at SVA then? Um, I started teaching for Stephen Fraley in the BFA. Oh yeah, when was that? It, it was, I was 29, so I'm 45, it was 16 years ago. Mm. And um, yeah, we should mention June, ele uh, June 11th, June right? June 11th was yeah. my birthday. Yeah. Yes. Happy birthday. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, we're recording this on the 17th, so right. that's like less than a week. Right. Yeah. Oh, my birthday's I'm, I'm next 40. Week. Really? Ah. So are you still a Gemini no, or I'm you're a cancer? cancer. Yeah. Yes. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. What? Oh, so we were te teaching at SVA. Yeah, yeah. So um, Stephen called me. He saw my show at Ricomoresca Gallery. They were my first gallery. Um, and he actually was very inspiring. I don't know if I talked about it, Stephen, mm. because I was insecure about many things. I never taught here my English and my ability to teach. And um, I shared it with him. I was like, I only taught belly dancing. I, I don't know if I can teach a critique class. Mm. And he said, uh, let me ask you this. Can you be generous? And I was like, yes, I can be generous. And he said, so you can teach. <laughs> and you got the job. 
Nice. So it was very inspiring. I taught there for a while. I still sometimes teach in the BFA. Um, we're now thinking about a potential class. It might happen. So, um, and about eight years ago, I started also teaching in the MFA program. With Charlie Trout. Right, yeah. with Charlie. So what classes do you do for the graduate program? It's the thesis class. Mm -hmm. It's their last year, and it's really working on, on their thesis with them. So it's called it's called Master Critique. Actually, a funny story. Mm -hmm. When they gave me the class, I was very moved. I was like, a Master Critique. <laughs> and I am the master, but it's not referring to me. It's referring to the degree. I think it took me a year or two. I'm like, I am not the master. Yeah. So it's called the Master Critique <laughs> 2 or something. Aww. And I'm not the master. <laughs> That's funny. You also told me, I, hopefully I can set it up enough that you'll remember it, is you told me a funny story about when you were you were working out of uh, Charlie's office and people would come by and mistake you. For, right. <laughs> right. For his, for his secretary. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yes, Charlie. Can you, can you, when can I, can we schedule a meeting with Charlie? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just oh. printing here. <laughs> But last time, Charlie and I, he came and I told him, people think I'm your secretary. And he said, as my secretary, let's clean the office together. <laughs> <laughs> and me and Charlie were wiping the floors. So. Very nice. So if my photography doesn't do well, ah, maybe yeah. I can uh, offer myself a, a as backup his, career. Yes, I'm actually interning <laughs> secretly as his secretary. Yikes. <laughs> I want to. We talked about '95, which was this big year for you. I mean, you made this massive decision to immediately leave and come over here and start this new life, and you know, ready to dedicate your life to photography and make this big step. And um, and the other year, I think, is important to talk about is this 2001, 2002 kind of span of time where all of a sudden a lot of things ha seem to happen. Uh, just by reading like your resume, it just seems right. like this culmination of events so you get the um, ICP infinity award for young photographer I think that right. is called right. um, closer comes out right the book for closer comes out and then like Guggenheim. Guggenheim then you get yeah. a Guggenheim fellowship so what was that like what that seems like a bit of a like a roller coaster or and something. there was a NIFA in there uh, no NIFA the NIFA happened in 2010 Kai introduced me so many times. Believe me, he got it all. He like in the middle of the night, you can wake him up and they're like Guggenheim, 2002, Infinity, 2001. Okay, go back to sleep. Um, in a way, I think it was um, it was a combination of being very, very exciting and special, um, especially the Infinity, because I had my parents came from Israel, and Iran was there with me, and I I was just like living in a dream but there was also a huge like down after them because you work so hard it's mm -hmm. such a difficult career and you think okay now i won the guggenheim i won the infinity my book is out now it's gonna get easier right uh. and it does get easier maybe somewhat over time mm -hmm. but it's not immediate in our career mm -hmm. in our profession so there is a lot of ups and downs um i remember um but uh, it's more looking in retrospect and then talking to other people um, or other people that gave me shows or cure. And they were like, eight years after the Infinity, they're like, we were there. We were so impressed with your work. And then they waited eight years to approach <laughs> me and do an exhibition <laughs> right, or something. Right, right. <laughs> so it was great. But again, a lot of ups and downs. 
And uh, what did you, when you applied for the Guggenheim, did you propose a specific project? I mean, I guess you have to, right? Um, did you? I'm going to expose the embarrassing fact. Um, ah, good. It was Seth Greenwald that helped me write um, the proposal mm. because I wanted an American friend to help me. And he said, if you are winning the Guggenheim with this proposal, I'm going to win the Nobel Prize. <laughs> 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 because... <laughs> Um, I, I really want to feel honest, you know, Mikai, I don't want to be somehow artsy talk. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I try to be just very honest. It wasn't being lazy or that I didn't want to, and I do make myself write more, but I describe what I've been doing. And I said that I don't know what life will bring me, but I want to continue to photograph what it brings. I just mm. want to continue photograph my life, my family and what happens to me. So it wasn't very structured or like, this is a project, these are the dates. Right. Um, so maybe they gave me the Guggenheim in spite of this. <laughs> or yeah. maybe they're like, yeah, it makes sense with my work. I mean, mm -hmm. I had crisis, I had the work pain. I mm -hmm. didn't plan on those projects. I right. didn't plan a project about twin boy girls. Yeah. It's what happens in life that you follow. So you left it somewhat open-ended in, in, in the terms of like, as things happen, these, you know, this is what I do and how I do it, but what will, what will be in the photos is going to just kind of arise. It's going to come, come along as it happens. Right. When I take the pictures and when I do projects, because, and sometimes people ask me that, there is nothing special about me or my family. That's why the work is universal. It's just life the dramas of everyday life that we all live everybody's special everybody has stories and dramas and mm. quiet moments and loud moments um and this is what i want to photograph so a specific body of work didn't come out of that year you just continued to make the work you were making actually I, with the money of the guggenheim i took time and did a lot of diary of a dancer oh okay yeah and uh -huh. then i published it in 2004 gotcha so it did did we did wind up being Useful of course, I mean, yeah. every extra money I have, I put into my, my work. I, yeah. I cut my own hair, I dye my own hair, <laughs> I don't, I'm like, really, it's either the kids or my work, so the Guggenheim right. can rest assured. <laughs> that's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it, was, it was used. Yeah, it's right. It was used every single cent, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so then you finish that, and it goes on to be Dire of a Dancer, and, um, and then keep working, right? And right, so, I always work, so yeah. if I get an award or you know it just gives me more freedom to maybe turn down some jobs and just be more calm that i can have i have some money and i can work on the project and then as you were saying you can't plan things in advance so at some point um then uh this mother project starts because you become pregnant right right and right. uh it was it just a natural you knew immediately when you found out you were pregnant that that was going to be you know, that you were going to photograph that whole process through or was there did it happen organically in other words or were you like oh okay this is the next thing well kai when two people love each other <laughs> <laughs> nice because <laughs> you have photographs from when you're pregnant i mean it's not right, like you waited right. until the kids were born it's like, right you know, i did continue to photograph organically yeah. um but i think i do talk about it First of all, there is a fear, especially because my family is not around me here. Um, I have my aunt and my cousins here, but my parents and around parents, there was a fear that I won't be able to do anything, you know, having to take care of twins. Mm. Uh, but something in me changed after becoming a mother. I think everything is deeper. 
it was definitely more extreme right after I had a kid. Mm. Um, the emotions, the worry, the anger, the frustration with all the images we've seen in, in the art, in photography, mm. in celebrity photography of, of motherhood and how limited it is and how much most of it doesn't reflect most of what parenthood is. Um, yeah, the cover of People magazine two weeks after giving birth. Right. And the perfect like, figure, yeah. perfect baby, <laughs> yeah, everybody's yeah. happy. She got her bikini bod back right, right away. Right, right. Yeah. But even if you look uh, in, in paintings, from the, it's like a lot of Madonna and child and a lot of very serene, beautiful, positive moments. So I was so emotional after my delivery that I wanted to, even more than ever before, to show the conflicting aspects of being a parent, mm. um, physically, emotionally, the sensual aspect. I wanted to show all of it as it is, as I felt it. And as, and you know that I was talking to a lot of other parents, mm. as other parents felt it as well, their honesty and how much they shared with me was really a motivation and inspiration for this work. Yeah, I could imagine it. I'm the only non-parent here at the table. <laughs> but uh, I could imagine that even if you are, I don't know, if, even if you had lived a more closed off life to a certain point, uh, you know, it's not like getting a pet. You now have these other humans and, and it's the most, I, I will use this word again, the most intimate thing where you're like you're, you're with these people and they're, you're with them all the time and you're start off nourishing them from your body and all of this stuff that it's got, has to change things. It right. has to like, you've got this completely other relationship now. In, in many ways, people. even your the way you see time, there mm. is a reason why I started photographing so much more after I became a mother. Mm. And all parents photograph more, <laughs> I feel, even if they're not professional photographers. Right. Most of them are not. Yeah. And so the parents around me, because you just really understand time and your own mor morbidity. Mortality? Mortality, yeah. yeah. And time just flies especially with twins you have one timeline oh, yeah. suddenly they're a year old suddenly they just finish yeah. elementary school and yeah. there is more of a need which is why we take pictures in the first place we mm -hmm. want to preserve what's being lost all the time every day every hour but it becomes even more urgent when you're a parent yeah you take uh you do take your time a, a lot more for granted when you're when you don't have children and you do and then you start to consider more wow i spent I spent six months photographing this thing that, that doesn't involve my children or I was away from home for all this time. And then you, you go back and you say, well, did I miss something there? Was, you know, right. was there something that, uh, you know, when I remember the first few times that my son Mateo, um, uh, you know, had a, a play or a production or, you know, well, he was in something right at school. He would say, oh, mommy's coming, right? Mommy's coming, right? It's like, yeah, you know, daddy's coming too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Right, but yeah. it just show you also the different expectations, which yeah. is also a struggle between mm -hmm. father and mother. Right. Who should be where and why, and is the mother, should right. she be there more, even if she's working, or even if she's not working? All those questions of sure. gender and how you parent differently if you do as a man or woman. Right, father. right. Uh, but I remember you saying that uh, and when we were talking about your kids and whether or not they were being exhausted from being photographed too much or all this stuff that you felt that actually you were taking fewer pictures of your kids doing than other parents who are photographing every like event moment like definitely, constantly, right? Definitely. So that yes. there's a, ironically, even though you're, right. you, maybe you're photographing more at home than, right. than the parents, other parents are, but 
when you guys go out to like if if they're in some play or if they're in some other thing you're not taking a hundred pictures of every little thing that they right. do in those instances right. right yeah a lot of the the parents I think their friends are being photographed more some of their friends yeah. definitely by their unprofessional parent photographers they're not mm-hmm. photographers yeah. but they're just photographing all the time with their cell phones or the tablets or the cameras or yeah I've been to some events where uh, I can't see the production because I'm looking at people's iPads right. above their heads. And, and right. even tablets. Like I'm watching yeah. it on television. Right. I know. Yes. I know. I've been there. <laughs> um, so shift, shifting gears just a little bit, I wanted to talk about, you've got these titles, so Closer, and it's kind of very clear once you look into it, it's you know family, and, and actually many of the photographs are even physically close, like right. physically close to the subject, Right. right? Diary of a Dancer, boom. You yeah, very know. direct. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Mother, right. boom, okay. <laughs> but um, the, the other thing, that's not, and a lot of, a lot of photographers maybe might end at that. It's like, oh, here's the title of the book or the title of the show, and that gives you an entree into what the photographs might be the subject of the, of the body of work. But uh, I wanted to talk to you about the role of captions, because I think in many instances, not in all of your projects, but certainly in some of them, the caption is there to give meta information about about the work, right? Right. And I'm specifically thinking about like one title that that I remember, although I have it written down, so I wouldn't forget. Would be like first tears over another man, and right. that's a photograph of you and Iran, I think, on a couch, right? Right. And I mean, you can tell in the photograph that there's it's unsettling, and there's also an, you know you guys are sort of clinging next to each other, but there would be nothing in that photograph that would make you think of another, another man, man right, right right so that you're you're introducing these narrative elements through the titles uh in in several instances do you want to talk about how that decision or or how do you think about titles in terms of the production of the work and how how the audience is to experience it i think sometimes the titles are there to give a piece of information that will help read the image um, or that I couldn't, like I did photograph the other man, but I never showed those pictures. Mm. Um, so, so sometimes the title is there to give another emotion or a piece of information or to have you read maybe the image completely differently or to make you laugh, like why can't you be nicer to your brother? Mm-hmm. This image, um, sometimes it just comes to me as I look at the picture and I'm like, why couldn't she just be nicer that day and they wouldn't fight all day? So it's, it's, I think I don't see the picture as done until it's printed and mm. titled. It's still work in progress. Okay. And so the title is very important to me. And I, I think the only, I, would, I was just looking at the website before and we'll link to it obviously on our, on our, uh, our website as well. But um, I was thinking of uh, pain, that does those are just sort of like pain one, pain two, pain right, three, right? So right. You, like you and in those photographs there's one that I'm specifically thinking of where you're in the kitchen and you're sort of stretched over a right. board, you know, it looks like you're stretching out your back. And then there's another one where you're wearing some sort of like almost yeah. like a corset kind right. of thing that's like this really medical, squeezing. Yeah. And your and the expression on your face is very clear, like the pain as the title is almost superfluous because you look at that, you're like, Oh my god, you know, so But it was very specific to I mean, when we're in pain, when it's uh, excruciating pain or even medium pain, we mm. can't, I feel, there was a part of what I was trying to say. It almost takes a lot of us 
away because the pain takes over mm. and you can't think or feel you that you become so and that's how i was i was so consumed by my pain because i had this pain especially when i had those pain attacks so it was a lot about that just being in pain and yeah. what i i i went through because everything else was kind of stripped out I felt like my personality was gone mm. when I was um, in pain. And then also I talked to people who've been through way more difficult things that I have, and they had the same feeling, like, where am I? Where is the person I used to be when I'm in pain? It's all gone. And, and all that was left for the title right. was so, just So pain. then in that instance, maybe keeping it more universal, you didn't. the title didn't need to be uh, in pain because blah, 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 blah. Or you know what I mean? Like you right. didn't have to spell it out. I didn't, I also, it wasn't a medical body of work. It mm. was an emotional, like about the emotional, the personal aspect of being in pain, of going through times in our lives when we deal with health issues. Or Yeah. So then now, but then the newer, almost all the newer body of work that I've seen, the titles are again, playing such an important role, right. like with, especially right. in mother with, uh, like you mentioned one uh, there about being nicer. Yeah, I remember to, even Sasha, when we had the show, there is one image, I don't even remember, it's like um, feeding Emmanuel from a plastic bottle after I stopped breastfeeding her. And maybe there are a few more words. She's like, why are the titles so long? She was like printing. And I was like, because I have a lot to say about this. <laughs> and it was, it was a kind of a joke. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of photographers are conflicted about that. Or it, there's this a negotiation between how much right. how much to give in language how much to give only in the photograph how Isn't much to Cindy give Isn't Cindy Sherman all of her work is untitled Yeah I think right? so yeah, yeah. right yeah. untitled film stills untitled right It's all yeah, untitled yeah. yeah So now you're represented by Edwin Hout Gallery Yes yes Yeah are there uh, is there are there things coming up no. Not right now <laughs> no I will let you know if there will oh, for yeah, you Oh yeah do Yes. Oh, yeah. Promoted. <laughs> you're promoted. And, and you might not be a master critic, but you're a master photographer now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying really hard yes. to be a good one. You're a, a, the Ilford master photographer? The Ilford master. Ah. So I'm finally a master. Yes. Oh, Ilford found this. me. And I'm, <laughs> they have a program, the right. master photographers. Uh, and um, yeah. they have Salgado there. They have right. some good names there. And I'm yeah. so I'm finally, if not for SVA, <laughs> MFA, <laughs> so at least for Ilford. Did that come with any nice uh, swag? Any oh, nice they've been gifts? very supportive of me. They've been re really great. very supportive. And the, the way they discovered me is also very genuine because I was, my switch to digital was very challenging for me. Learning Photoshop, learning to open RAW, I do all my own retouching. And then when I thought I had it right, when the images looked good on the screen and I tried to print mm -hmm. them out, yeah. I was like, oh, no, I always printed my work in the darkroom. Right. Uh, and then I had to learn a lot. Um, Matthew oh. Baum, my friend, eventually after taking classes and workshops, he was the one who gave me private lessons, like working with my prints, my negatives, to see how now shooting digitally, I am translating my visuals and aesthetic to digital. And so I looked for the right paper. And I looked and looked and looked. And in one of the interviews, I said that I dated other papers until I got <laughs> married with Ilford. Ah. And they read it or heard it from my lab because I was telling them I only want to print on gold fiber silk. And they approached me oh, to just say nice. what I yeah. was saying and continue printing on their papers. Right. So it was 
<laughs> a genuine embrace yeah. from them. And they've been very supportive. That's great. I print on hat now. <laughs> <laughs> what do you print on, Kai? <laughs> I've been married to Ilford HP5 film for many, many, many years. But yeah. No, that's really, that's really fantastic. I tried yeah. that with Canon. I'm like, let yeah, me right. talk about that's shooting right. with a Canon 5DS. But yeah. they haven't right. heard my voice. <laughs> Hear my voice, exactly. Canon, and give me a free camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you talk a lot about embracing digital. You want to yes. go into that a little bit more? Or? I love digital. Mm. I love digital. It, um, it in almost any way, it was um, an upgrade for me. Mm. Um, I love the fact that I can continue working on the files and and learning more about the files. I love the fact that I can switch ISO, especially for the editorial stories. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that I can share the images in certain situations with people. And it's not just me, you know, behind the camera and they have no idea what I'm shooting. So um, I, I, it just gave me more freedom. Yeah, I can think of photographers that used to use Polaroid that way, right? They would right. like come into a situation if they're going to make portraits or something, they might photograph, like do some Polaroid, show them like, you know, this is what you might be looking like. Right. But even then, that wasn't going to be the final image unless they're doing 55 film or something. Right. So they were going to continue on. But you, you go into these situations where maybe people are guarded or, or could be worried about how the magazine are, is going to represent them. And you have this opportunity not only to immediately show them what you've done, but even say, look, we can delete this right now. And right. It's Sometimes I yeah. can't do it all the time and it can't yeah. be ongoing because then you can't. Oh, yeah, but course. if it's a sensitive situation or very painful moment. Mm. Yeah. So that's then, that's changed things yeah, quite a bit for. Right. So made it better overall, for I, I, I'm happy. I also used to work so hard in the dark room to make my prints look the way they do. Mm. And then all the work is gone. Mm-hmm. When you work on a file, oh, their yeah. files, the cover of Mother, Mm. This file, because I print every time I print it, I s- continue. Suddenly, I see another. Th- I think I have forty hours working on this <laughs> on this file on wow. this tiff, and it's not gone. So right. my work is being mm-hmm. saved, and it's yeah. there. If you want to make another print, there it is. Right. Yeah. right. It's always a challenge, but yeah, yeah, yeah the work I've done for the last print yeah. is is there. Well, we usually end up now having this little uh, nerd section of the show. So, what what are you, we should have like a little musical like piece of that. <laughs> and nerd. now, and now for a geeking out. Yeah. Um, so, what camera are you shooting with? The Canon uh, 5DS. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was with a Mark III for right. for a while since 2008 till mm-hmm. about a year ago, and switched to the 5DS. Yeah, yeah. That's what uh, I shoot with the 5D3, and I'm looking at the S, of course. And yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably wait for the wait for the Mark II. <laughs> uh, the S two. The yeah. S two, yeah, yeah. It's you can't wait because it's oh, it's I know. endless. Yeah, of course. How old was your mother when you took those first photographs of her? Oh my God, she was thirty-five. She was thirty-five. She's twenty years older than me. She okay. had me. She got pregnant with me when she was nineteen. Mm. So that's got to be interesting because now you're even older than right. she was when right. you're making those photographs, and so. Uh, just having your birthday and turning 45, how, and you being a big part of your work, uh, appearing in your work, how is that, a, how is aging and the body changing? I mean, very famously, you photographed yourself like right after giving birth and you were showing that not, not only, many people have that photograph of like themselves with the big belly, but you had like, you know, right after the being post, born, yeah. Yeah, post uh, C-section and right. all this. So how is that 
using yourself as a muse and, and your body, how is that changing as you, uh, is your approach or anything changing as you're, as you're aging, do you think? You will have to patiently wait okay. to see my next project. Ah, <laughs> yeah, nice teaser. Wow. Um, which is about... You, I, you did not set me up for that. I you no know, idea. Kai, it's ah. about aging and... Um, the, yeah, aging. It, it's some of it is a lot of close-ups, uh, some things that I've been through medically, mm. some blood paintings. Oh, wow. So yes, it will. It's not ready, but but it is something you're actively working not only on. thinking about working with. Oh nice. yes. Ah, <laughs> wow, good job, Kai. Kai you're beginning to <laughs> yeah. know me too well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm gonna hire someone else to introduce me for the like guys. He's like, gonna start giving you projects the, to work the on. The future <laughs> just feel like yeah, yeah. I'm 95. <laughs> Just yeah. write it all down, and then that's it. it. I don't out. have to take the pictures. And <laughs> no, 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 no. But th there is that. I, I mean, I think people can't help but think about when they think about their parents, or, or you think about these milestones, and you realize uh, it sneaks up on you often. Like that, you know, I can think of photographs of my mother, or times when my mother and I were living somewhere and had been doing something, and then I realize, oh wow, that was she was younger than she was younger I, than yeah, I am no. now, and yeah. like where am I? You know, how is my timeline of my life? You know, right? It's very different. You know, uh, my mother had her first kid when she was fifteen, <gasps> and I'm oh, forty-four. Wow. Oh, still wow. don't have any kids. Probably not going to. Uh, but <laughs> oh. you know, like just the just seeing all That's of these things, young. right? Yeah. Um, or another friend of mine who I met 10 years ago and she was, she was 44 when I met her, we're 10 years apart. So now we've known each other 10 right. years. So now I'm like, ah, oh, I'm now exactly the same age you were when we met. And now I'm remembering all of the things that were in my mind when I met this 44 year old that must be, no I must embody like, It's humbling to grow older. Yeah, it's I, I lost an uncle, the, the one who lived there and he was mm. 48 when he got oh. a heart attack and then died a few months later and Iran and I were thinking we're almost at the age that he was right when he died he died at 49 or something. yeah there's, the, there's a couple of milestones people have to get past and there's the early 50s is one where like a lot yeah. of people yeah and then that when you're in your 20s like 50s oh that's yeah <laughs> that's like and then you yeah. you you reach to that point I was yeah. just talking to some young person and I said that the oldest I felt, I think, was in my 20s. Because mm. I remember turning 20. I felt so old, turning 26. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm going to be 30 in four years. And today, I don't feel that way anymore. I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to waste right. time on feeling right. old. Because right. I really don't have that much time. <laughs> yeah. So I told her I felt so old when I was yeah. 29. I don't feel old anymore now. And it was a funny conversation. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. I used to think of my father as an, an old father, right? Because uh, by the time I was 12, he was 50. Right. And he actually passed away at 50. And I'm going wow. to be uh, 50 when my son is 10. <laughs> so, right. Will right. You get <laughs> now a I'm the old dad. <laughs> I just have to get past that year. Yeah. And you can't. They're Sorry. like, my daughter was going through something in school. And you can't, like, speed those understandings and realizations about life right. with your kids they will have to go through their pains and experiences and yeah. and to mature and know what we know and more when they're our age right yeah right i think i'm healthier than my dad though i just want to say that <laughs> so yeah please <laughs> yeah keep it that way right. we need to do season two season three of the uh, photo show <laughs> it'll be hard to uh, match your voice like, well you know next year I'll do my farewell show <laughs> yeah. oh. <laughs> yikes uh, how has it been raising two Americans I mean that's got to be a big change right 
it's it's challenging it is challenging um I think it's easier now a lot of the beginning in the like was was I had a lot of fears I've also have seen some other Israeli parents um, blaming their kids who were born and raised here in America for being American hmm. and I was like I'm not gonna repeat that mistake even though when I'm very angry I do um, <laughs> but I'm trying not to blame the kids for being Americans because first it's the country I chose to move to and right. to become American yeah, and it's your to, fault <laughs> it's my fault my choice so it's a, it's a very harsh double message and also there is nothing else they can be if they're born and right. Um, and also, I love this country for many reasons. This yeah. country gave me a lot, and I feel American today. But there is definitely sometimes more of the regular generational gap, um, a cultural gap, and things that are different. Yeah, uh, another photographer who's been on the show that you know, uh, Inbal. Yeah, uh, Abergil. She, we ha- we've often talk about you know what does it mean to have these kids that are going to be culturally different when it's not like a lot of uh, the story of immigration where people moved to that country and then never went back you know like they never right, went back right. to Italy or they never went back to wherever but there's this often this back and forth between right. the two countries and then you know the closest I can experience to it would be going to visit my mother's family down in Louisiana where I was raised as this right. kind of like free hippie child and then going down and meeting these people who were uh, had lived in small towns and, and absorbed a lot of the local culture, including, you know, being racist and closed minded about things and being the outsider, you know, being this yeah, outsider. That's hard to be the outsider in the place you, that yeah. was home to you for so many years. And yeah, so now you're bringing like, when, when you bring the, your kids back to Israel, do they, do they, have they had enough of a relationship with their grandparents that they feel comfortable being there? Or do they feel like the Americans coming to the foreign country kind of thing? I think they're more comfortable. I also think this is the age where they will all, they will only know what they feel when they're older. They yeah. might even feel things now, but I, they're there to have fun. And um, it's me that's being the heavy one and picking up on little criticism or mm. bigger criticism on feeling not at home there so much or how different I grew and how much the country has changed. Mm. So there is a lot of, and I can't bring myself to to take it lightly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so the visits for me are very difficult. I'm skipping the summer because mm. the transitions coming to Israel, it's so hard suddenly to see the place that was to go to Jerusalem that was my home for 24 years. And then coming back here, realize how far away I am from my family. And mm. it the transition, it takes me sometimes three months to go yeah. back to myself. So this summer, I'm sending the kids on their own. I'm just, I oh, don't wow. have the strength to, to deal with it. How old are your kids now? They're almost 12. Mm, okay, um, yeah. They'll be 12 in August. Yeah, I'm wondering when, when, you, do, when you start doing that, when you, the kids start traveling, putting them on trains and planes and things like that. I've done it already oh, wow. last year. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. It's really fine. I remember, I did that as a kid and I loved it. I, I mean, did it too yeah. at 10 years old. I, when I was, ooh, I don't want to get the years exactly wrong, but I think, I, I think the minimum age you have to be to travel by yourself might be seven or something. I think like you can get on an airplane with, you know, and they'll, of course, they look out for you when right. you travel. Right, they have to have supervision. Yeah, but I, I think I was six and we lied and said I was seven and I was going to go visit my grandmother <laughs> in Hawaii. And I, I was, How can you lie in the airport when they're showing your 
This is well. This is in the seventies. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh my god! Yeah, I know. I had no ID or anything. Like I didn't have to show a birth certificate. So yeah, I I mean, I was probably flying from like California to Hawaii or seven. Yeah, probably California to Hawaii to see my grandmother, and I was thrilled. I loved like you know. Yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah, the flight attendants had me in the back, like putting ice in cups, and I I had a great time. I thought it was amazing. And uh, my grandmother lived on Kauai, so she flew to Honolulu. Lulu, where the flight first came in to meet me, and then we flew together to the, to Kauai. But I was from then on. I oh, was it's like, an oh, adventure, yeah, and we uh, now old enough, so we whine about the flights and the delays and this and the food. Yeah. But for them, it's right. an adventure. Yeah, it was amazing. Oh, it's very exciting. exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So do you? That part of this was leading up to this follow up question, which is, I know that you're doing a bit of a, a or we're doing a bit of a gap in photographing the kids, uh, following as the mother uh, project was winding down. Do you envision picking that thread back up? Like when oh, they, I already when they, did. Okay. I already did. Okay. I couldn't hold for too long because, again, just feeling like I'm missing out on moments that I don't want to lose, mm. how quickly they change, how inspiring to me they are and who they are and what they're going through and how surprisingly encouraging they are of my photography, mm. the different projects I've been doing, um, they let me take pictures. They suggest things than photographs to do, and they're more patient and really appreciative of my work. Mm. So I couldn't hold my camera with all this positive feedback from them and support. Great. So that'll be another that's thing to expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've seen them at your openings, and they're 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 not just like running around in the corner or something. They're no, they're, they're like, very um, they're very open. They're yeah. they're they can be maybe a little shy, but they're very open and and they love people. Yeah, people and, ask them questions. And, and they're <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, really they're really the inspir- They're really the most beautiful thing in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this idea of having a muse, right? And so, in some ways, your mother started off as your first right. muse, and then. Uh, maybe Iran and right. your life together was the second phase, and now this whole other thing is. And they're not on. only amused, they're my really pathway to America. Mm. I feel that they connected me to this country. They and their schools and the community um, made it home. You can't be, I'm Eleanor the Israeli, when you have two American ch- children. Mm. You have to embrace your identity and your new place is home. At least that's what I felt I had to do. Yeah. So they're. They're the key for many creativity, feeling at home, understanding, accepting, learning. Yeah, we're in this apartment and I can see Star Wars toys. <laughs> no, and, you know. I know. I never saw the Star Wars movies. <laughs> so I told it to my son and he turned to my husband and said, so dad, how come you married her if she never saw the Star Wars movie? And now it's the joke that dad still married me. Despite, even though, despite your ignorance. Despite <laughs> with my terrible ignorance. <laughs> Well, that's a good place to, uh, to end. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Yes, with Star Wars. <laughs> but you're on uh, you're on Facebook. I, I saw your Facebook page, and you're on Twitter. I right? am. I stopped doing the Twitter. I'm oh, on you Facebook, did? and okay. as of yesterday. I hired my daughter. I have a, um, a BlackBerry, <laughs> yes. so I can't do Instagram. <laughs> I hired my daughter to run my Instagram account. No, because okay. all my friends were like, Eleanor, you have to go on Instagram at least. Yeah. Put right. Them. So she's 
This okay, is her so first I, job. I, I think you need, so you need to uh, update your site to get rid of the Twitter link? Right, right. right? Oh, okay. oh my God, you're right. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to ask my husband to do it and put the Instagram instead. Or yes, put that on and then yes. we'll link to that as well. Yes, oh, yeah. I'm writing it down. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I have to right. now put the Instagram on the <laughs> website. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you, Kai. Yes, Eleanor, it was great. All right. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.